Ephesians chapter 5, verse number 21. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his flesh, unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. Let's go ahead and pray together. Lord, I thank you again for these few moments that we have to dive into the Word of God and to share these wonderful principles in regards to this relationship here called marriage. I just ask for every person here today that they would grab hold of something that they could take with them and apply to their lives. There are many that are here today that are not married, and I'm quite sure that there are some principles even that we could apply whatever lot we find ourselves in this life. Thank you, Lord, for what you're going to accomplish. Please help us to be still through this time, to not focus on anything else, but to be fixed upon what you're speaking to us here today. And I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. I've already made a couple of remarks here about our overall theme, but I think it's important in the introduction here today to make a couple of other side remarks, especially to those that are here today who may have had a failed marriage. These messages that I'm preaching in regards to marriage are not intended to rub salt in the wounds that you may still be trying to bandage. I'm not here today as a preacher casting any stones by any means. But I am here to help in two different ways. Number one, I desire for every married couple that is here today to help establish certain biblical guidelines that will help their marriage flourish. I also desire for young people that are here today who are seeking to get married to be able to mark down how they ought to govern their future relationships. I've said this on a number of occasions, and I think it bears repeating. It's no secret that marriages today in and out of the church, are in trouble. The evil one, Satan, the adversary of the Christian, from day one in the Garden of Eden, is waging all his efforts against the great institution of marriage. God did something very powerful 
when he established the first marriage. He established it first to be permanent, and then he established it to be based upon principles. Now, last time we met together, last week, we went over two very important principles that every married couple must decide if their marriage is going to last. Number one, you need to decide to be right with God. Number two, you must decide to function within your God-given role. Husbands have a very specific role in providing loving leadership. Wives have a very specific role in submitting and following that God-given leadership. But today, I'd like to go ahead and give from this passage of Scripture three more laws that ought to govern your marriage. Here's the first one I give today. It is this. Decide that we is greater than me. Decide that we is greater than me. Let's all say that together. Ready? Decide that we is greater than me. You know, there's a statement I want to make here. It is this, that selfishness has the ability to destroy a marriage. Selfishness has the ability to destroy a marriage, a work relationship, a friendship, Because no one can survive around someone whose ego is so large, who is so selfish about themselves, that they have nowhere to go because their head is so big. It's impossible. Let's note here how an unselfish marriage should be as we walk through these verses. Look at these verses that we read here. Note back in verse number 21. If you look at verse number 21 where we're to submit ourselves, you and I are to submit to what God has for us in this relationship. In other words, it's an unselfish move on my part to say, I'm not going to go ahead and get all over you on what you should do. I'm going to concentrate on what I should do. A novel thought in marriages, really. I may have other ideas coming into this relationship. I may have preconceived notions. But God has a plan for me in this marriage. And therefore, an unselfish move would be to yield myself to God. Notice verse 22 and verse number 24. Talking here to the wives. Wives are to be willing to follow the leadership of their husband. That is an unselfish move on your part. Verse number 25, husbands are to love their wives with that sacrificial love, that agape love, and that is depicted in the great example of Jesus Christ. Again, husbands, if your marriage is going to last, you must make an unselfish move to love your wife like Christ loved the church. Verses 26 to 27, husbands... You're to think here through the role that you have in leading your wife to the place that God has for them. Again, an unselfish move. Verses 28 to 29. Husbands are to think of their wives and their needs just like they think of their own needs. That's an unselfish move. Verse number 33. Notice how he wraps it up here. 
in this last verse, each mate has a specific role which is geared toward the benefit of the other. Unselfish move. But now I want to get to verse number 31 because this is a very important verse for all of us to understand. Notice here, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. If you've read your Bible enough, does that sound familiar like it's quoted elsewhere? Well, you march all the way back to the book of Genesis, and right there in the very beginning chapters, God had established that institution of marriage, and when he brought Adam and he brought Eve, the first two people, he brought them together in holy matrimony, and this verse is given. In fact, I think if I'm correct, this verse is given in Genesis chapter 2 and is repeated three other times in the Scripture. Right here, Paul is quoting for us that general, specific, important principle that must apply in our lives, and therefore it is two people with different temperaments, different personalities, different ideas being brought together as one flesh. How amazing it is that God brought my wife and me together. We are two totally different people. And before you start casting stones at us, I've gotten to know some of your marriages. And I thought to myself as I've walked away and said, wow, those people are opposites. Isn't it amazing how opposites attract? Isn't it amazing how people are so different and yet God brings them together Two totally unique individuals, but God did not bring those two individuals together for you to stay as those two unique individuals and to compete with one another. God brought you together to take those differences so you can complement each other. The only way you'll complement one another is when you begin to think unselfishly. Notice this unselfish relationship. In fact, later I'd encourage you to go back to the book of Genesis and read this. This unselfish relationship, it involves an acceptance of one another. It involves a sacrifice for one another. It involves a commitment to the relationship. Let's think for just a moment about God bringing Adam and Eve together. How incredible it was that God created Eve by taking a rib from Adam's side. Don't you men feel a little bit sore right now? This rib was taken from Adam's side, indicating something very important about the relationship that God was putting together. That rib was not taken from Adam's feet, whereby Adam might walk all over Eve. That rib was not taken from Adam's head, whereby she might rule over him. But it was taken from Adam's side in order that as they're brought together, they might work together to fulfill what God has for their marriage. And I love Adam's response. In fact, you look at Genesis chapter 2, how amazing it is that as Adam is put to sleep, if you will, and he's Then God takes that rib, and He makes Eve, and He brings her together. Do you know what the first word He said? 
He looked at her and he said, the word in the Bible is woman. But I like to kind of translate it this way. That woman was so beautiful, so incredible. He said, whoa, man. That's what really woman is. I mean, I mean, just he was so taken back. Incredible creation and the fact that God would bring these two people together. And then he said, she is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. You and I cannot lose sight of what God did in this particular moment. The way God created Eve, the way he brought Eve to Adam... Because you see, every time Adam looked at her, he had to realize to himself, I can't be selfish and think all about me. That woman is from me, and therefore I must lead her and protect her and guide her and cherish her. And every time Eve looked at Adam, she had to think to herself, I came from him. And therefore, every action and every attitude ought to be something where I honor and respect and cherish Him. You realize everything of God created Adam and Eve here speaks of this love and harmony and completion within a relationship that is not to focus on each other and our own needs, but is to focus on the other's needs. Sadly, too many marriages are full of selfish spouses. Selfish deeds, selfish attitudes, and there is no selfless love. And therefore, if that is going on, it is contributing to the downgrade of your marriage. Let me give you this statement here. Notice this. To reap the greatest benefits of your marriage, you must indulge yourself completely into it without demanding anything in return. Think about that. To reap the greatest benefits of your marriage, you need to indulge yourself completely into it without demanding anything in return. Well, first of all, if we're going to have a marriage that is going to be successful, I think both parties must decide that we is greater than me. Number two, I want you to notice this. You need to decide to build spiritual intimacy. You need to decide to build spiritual intimacy. Now you say, preacher, what is spiritual intimacy? Well, here it is. It is when a husband and wife both surrender their lives to the Lord and decide to please Him in all areas of their life and of their marriage. Now think about this for just a moment. You and I, the Bible says, I believe personally, that we are created as a tripart being. God is a trinity. You and I are created in somewhat of a trinity. We have a body. We have a soul and we have a spirit. Now, many couples come together in the physical intimacy. That's the body-to-body connection. Many couples come together in the soul or emotional intimacy. That's the heart-to-heart, soul-to-soul. But I want to tell you something. There is an, an important aspect with regards to your spirit, the spiritual component of you, that you and your spouse come together in a strong spiritual intimacy. 
This is where one's spiritual life is of such a caliber that it begins to connect with the other spouse because their spiritual life is of a similar caliber. I did not put it on the screen here today, but if you were here last week, we put a triangle on there. How many remember that triangle? Raise your hand for just a moment. Good. Now, at the top of the triangle, we had God. At the bottom of the triangle, on one side, we had the husband. At the other side, we had the spouse. And as each spouse grows closer to God, guess what happens? They grow closer to each other. Now, how amazing it is to consider the aspect that that proper relationship that we have ought to be something where Jesus Christ is the very foundation of my marriage because for my marriage to work, Jesus has to be an integral part. There's a verse I want to give to you to consider. It's Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 12. Notice this. The Bible says, If one prevail against him, two shall withstand him, and a threefold cord is not easily broken. Now, the book of Ecclesiastes is a very interesting book, but in verses 9 through 12, Solomon is writing this, and he's talking about the advantage of two people together. Solomon is almost considering here this aspect of being alone in this world and how being alone really just doesn't kind of cut the mustard. And so he talks about being involved with somebody and having that special, unique relationship because when there are two people together, there is productivity, there is help and comfort in times of need, there is security. But if you were to live in the days when Ecclesiastes was written, every person understood a tripart cord here, this three parts to a cord, and how that cord was very, very strong. The three-ply cord had such a strength to it, and what Solomon is referencing here is that there is a husband and there is a wife, and to make that relationship what it ought to be, God must be a part of that relationship. And I want to encourage you today as a married couple to make God a part of your relationship. I want to encourage you here today, even if you're not married, maybe you have a a, a work relationship, there's co-workers, or there's a boss, or there's other relationships that you have. Can I say that those relationships are only as strong as God is, has the strength in your life, and how important it is to follow Him. You know, today there's a commentary on many relationships. In many relationships it seems that the wife is the spiritual driver. I have found all too often in counseling that it is the wife that is driving them to church. It is the wife that is taking time with the children to make sure they read the Bible. It is the wife that has the spiritual bones, if you will, and the husband just kind of floats along in life. I want to tell you something, husbands, if that describes you today, it might be good that you've got a spiritual wife, but I'm telling you, you're not fulfilling your role as a loving leader. It is imperative that you get in the driver's seat and you take your family to church. You read your Bible with your family. You lead your family and your wife in the spiritual decisions. Many of the wives are the spiritual drivers. Sadly, today, many relationships rarely connect on the spiritual level. How sad that is. 
But then I want to take just a moment here and speak to those that are maybe in the process of dating, especially those that are young and have never been married. We've got some that are in here today. Can I encourage you young ladies especially that the one that you're dating, unless he's a fine Christian young man right now, he probably is not going to change overnight or change magically. Can I say to you, if he's not going to church now, reading his Bible now, talking about spiritual goals, he probably won't be doing it later. And don't get caught up into the fact. You say, well, I've invited him to church. He's coming to church with me. Can I tell you, dating, dating men is like dating a politician. Politicians make a lot of promises on the campaign trail. But once the vote is cast, they are another person. I'm telling you, you've got to be careful. It's important that young ladies, that you find someone who has a greater spiritual caliber than you do, so he can lead you. Don't get caught up thinking, well, I'm going to change him. I can just tell you of almost 30 years of ministry, I have seen over and over and over young ladies sitting in my office telling me, I thought I could change him. Often doesn't happen. You say, well, how do we grow together spiritually? How do we have this spiritual intimacy? Let me give you a couple of tips here on growing in spiritual intimacy. Number one, read the Word of God together and separately. Spend time reading the Word of God. Now, I think it's very important you read it on your own, but take the time to read the Word of God as a family, as a couple. Number two, talk about what God is teaching you through His Word. You say, well, preacher... You know, I, I'm a husband. I, I don't understand much of the Bible. That's okay. Your wife already knows that. Just go ahead and just begin just sharing your heart. You read some of the scriptures today. Just say, you know, here's what I think this says. Here's how we ought to apply this to our life. I want to encourage you, start taking the lead, husbands, and talk about what God is teaching you through His Word. Number three, pray together. I tell you, a Christian couple who prays together, that's a great couple right there. Pray together. Number four, make Sundays a restful Lord's Day. Now, how sad in our day today, Sunday has become like any other day. Can I just remind you of something? Every day is the Lord's Day, but this is a very special day. And far too many today already, you're thinking, well, I've got other activities, I've got other things. No, no, this is a day of rest. This is a day to commit to the Lord. And if the church that I attend has services in the morning and the evening, I ought to consider I want to be a part of that by God's grace and get all that I can from God and make it a beautiful, restful day. Number five, be accountable to each other. Be accountable. All of us have tendencies to fall into traps and to be tempted by the evil one. And I want to encourage you to be accountable to one another that you can help each other grow in the things of God. But number six, find a couple who can mentor you. You know how wonderful it is? We've got, there's a lot of older couples here. 
There's a lot of couples that have been through some hardships and a lot of couples who have been through some difficult times. And maybe you as a younger couple ought to find an older couple and say, would you mentor us? Would you sit down with us an hour or so every couple of weeks and just help us understand what it is about our relationship that we can flourish and we can stay married for all these years like you are? I'll tell you, it's important that we decide that we is greater than me. It's important to decide to build spiritual intimacy, but now I save the best for last. And that is, number three, decide to safeguard your marriage. Decide to safeguard your marriage. Now, let me ask you a question. What do you do to protect the valuables in your life? What do you do to protect your home, your vehicle? What do you do with certain paperwork that you want to make sure does not get lost? Certain items that you have that have a lot of meaning. Many might use a safety deposit box at a bank. Many may have a safe set up in their home that they keep those valuables in there to protect it from being stolen or being protected from fire. But I want to tell you something this morning. The most valuable commodity in all the world after your relationship with Jesus Christ is your relationship with your spouse. So really, the question needs to be put to you. What are you doing to safeguard your marriage? In other words, what are you doing to protect it from ruin and divorce? Now, sadly, there are those here today, and I don't mean this in any way, but there are those who are ignorant who kind of go on their merry way and say, oh, preacher, nothing's ever going to happen to us. We're never going to get into troubles. We're never going to have these struggles in our marriage. We're never going to have this happen. Never say never. Because it is amazing how many people who ignorantly went in and thought everything was hunky-dory, all of a sudden, boom, problems arise. There are those who may be here today who are oblivious. There already are cracks in the walls of your marriage, and you're oblivious to what's going on, and you just think, oh, everything's okay. But I hope you're here today as a wise and prudent spouse who cautiously goes through your marriage and secures that most valuable relationship that God has given you. Can I say to you today, each spouse is going to be vulnerable to the attacks of the evil one. And you and I, as Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 5, that we are to be sober, we are to be vigilant, because our adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, goeth about seeking whom he may devour. And he's doing everything he can to destroy your marriage. So today I want to just take a moment and address the men about things they must watch out for and then address the ladies about what they must watch out for. Men, let me talk to you first. Number one, guard your eyes. Now do me a favor, go back to the book of Proverbs, if you will. I'm going to stay there the remainder of this message. The book of Proverbs, chapter number four. 
Proverbs chapter number 4. And let me begin reading in verse number 23. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Put away from thee a froward mouth, and perverse lips put far from thee. Let thine eyes look right on, and thine eyelids look straight before thee. Ponder the path of thy feet, and let all thy ways be established. Turn not to the right hand, nor to the left. Remove thy foot from evil. You know, the Bible talks here about the heart, how it's to be guarded, it's to be kept. And you and I have, all of us, men and women, have what we may call certain gates that lead to the heart. There's the eye gate, there is the ear gate. What you hear will affect your heart. What you see will affect your heart. Today, not that women are immune to this, but men are greatly affected by the eye gate. This could be the staring down of women in your presence. This could be the looking at pornography. Now, some of you are here today and you say, well, preacher, come on. What's the big deal with looking? Nobody else really knows about it. Some will say, well, as long as I'm physically true to my spouse, it's really okay if I look around. Really? My friend, what you look at affects you. The Bible says here, out of the heart are the issues of life. In other words, what you view will affect your thinking, and what you think will eventually bear itself out in your personal actions. You say, is that really the case? Listen to Proverbs 23, 7. For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. Well, you might say, Pastor, I got a problem with a wandering eye. All right? Ask God to help you each moment you're tempted. Every time you're tempted to go ahead and click on that site you know you shouldn't click on, ask God to help you. Every time you start looking at a woman in a way that you ought not to look at her, then you need to ask God to help you. Number two, choose to stay pure. And I'm talking here to men today, whether you're married or unmarried, whether you're single, whether you're attached to somebody, whatever it may be, decide that you are going to stay pure. How amazing in Proverbs chapter 5 as it's talking here about the marriage relationship. Look here at Proverbs chapter 5, verse number 18. The Bible says, Let thy fountain be blessed and rejoice with the wife of thy youth. Now wives, you're referred to as a wonderful thing here as a fountain. A fountain of blessing. A fountain of water that 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 gives a a thirsty soul, it quenches that thirsty soul. That fountain is blessed here. But notice here what leads up to verse number 18. Look at verse number 15. As it's speaking to all men, especially to husbands, drink waters out of thine own cistern and running waters out of thine own well. Let thy fountains be dispersed abroad, rivers of water in the streets. Let them be only thine own and not strangers with thee. 
Now, on the screen here, we're going to put a picture because the word is used in the Bible of a cistern. Now, we may not understand this a whole lot, but if I use the word well, you'll understand. A cistern in the Bible was really a reservoir that was usually made of stones buried in the ground which held a water supply. Now, no person here today doubts the importance and necessity of water. In fact, the Bible speaks about it here where it uses in these verses 15 to 8 that I've read, it uses the word waters, cisterns which hold waters, fountains, rivers. Can I say to you, water is naturally satisfying. But the central issue of this warning has to do with how are you going to get that natural desire fulfilled? The Bible's not saying that water is bad. No, water's a necessity. And God has created us in such a way to bring a husband and a wife together to have that wonderful physical relationship. And when the Bible says that you are to draw water from your own cistern, it doesn't say, Go down to your neighbor's well and draw water. Go to another person's well and draw water. No, the Bible is very clear. Solomon, given this warning, given this instruction here, that husbands, you are to draw water. It'll satisfy you. It'll be a fountain of blessing. But get the water from your own well. Stay away from pornography. Stay away from relationships. The Bible here uses the term strangers. And we might think to ourselves, well, you know, I mean, every person I meet is not a stranger to me. No, no. A stranger is this. It is someone that is outside of the sphere of proper relationship. Can I say to you, my wife and I are married. We have every wonderful aspect of a relationship. But if I take that same type of relationship and I begin to have it with other women, that God is saying there's a warning that He's given here to that. And men, I'm encouraging you today, how do you stay away from drawing water out of another well? How do you stay away from those other relationships you ought not to be involved in? Guard your eyes. Guard your eyes. When you're tempted to look at something, look away. When something is brought your way and you know you ought not to get into that, then I'm telling you, get away from it and draw water out of your own cistern. Ladies, I want to talk to you now for just a moment. And I want to go ahead and notice here, back to chapter 4 of Proverbs. And I emphasize these words in verse 23 Keep thy heart. Two important words that are used here. First of all, the word heart. The word heart in the Bible often does not refer to simply that organ in our body that pumps the blood through our bodies. The heart in the Bible is actually a reference of the whole inner person. It encompasses our emotion, our conscience, our will, our thoughts. In other words, the heart is where your life meets the world. 
The Bible says, because out of the heart are the issues of life. In other words, the goings of life. I quoted earlier Proverbs 23, 7, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. What you put through the eye gate, the ear gate, is going to affect the heart and will eventually affect your actions. And that's why to both men and women, you know what you're to do? You're to guard your heart. Now, men, one of the greatest things you can do for yourself, as I already mentioned, guard your eyes. But women, I want to encourage you, keep your heart. Guard your heart. Guard your heart. I want to put up a picture of a castle here on the screen. You know, when we read the Old Testament, we are understanding a little bit of how cities were established, and that is there often was a gate around the city, and, and, and that gate or that wall that was around the city provided a security. It protected all the inhabitants who were in the city. As we move further along in history, maybe about the ninth century or so, we start finding that castles were built, and those castles Though some people look at it in an idyllic way, in a very romantic way, castles had a very utilitarian purpose, and that was to protect all the inhabitants that were in there. The castle belonged to a lord, if you will, a leader, and all of those that were there who lived in the castle were under the protection of that lord in that castle. Now, if an opposing enemy was to attack a castle, there would be two ways that they would approach that castle. Number one way would be the frontal attack. They would come with all guns a-blazing, if you will, coming up in full sight to attack that castle and try to overtake the inhabitants inside the castle. That's one way. But another way that an opposing enemy would come in and attack in a, ca- a castle would be to do a sneak attack. This is where a few of the opposing side would sneak in from another way, undetected, coming through the wall, some secret passageway, and once inside, they would disarm the guards, throw open the castle gates, and all of a sudden, That castle is overrun. Can I say to you today, there's a very clear analogy between castles and our marriages. Because the society we live in, the devil who opposes us, is attacking our marriages in all fronts. Today, there is the frontal attack of the media, like movies and television programs, music lyrics, everything, many things on the internet. There are websites that mock sexual purity, abstinence, marital fidelity, and family values. That's the frontal attack. But there's also a sneak attack where Satan tries to twist our minds and our hearts away from God's plan for our marriage and the family. And ladies, as I speak to you here today, it is very important that you are aware of the frontal attack. There are far too many television shows and movies that are being put out today that make everything look like if I follow this world's philosophy and go this way, that'll help my marriage. The best thing you can do for your marriage is get into this book and follow its guidelines. It's important. But ladies, 
you need to be careful of the sneak attack. You need to be careful of those attacks that come in from the backside, from the blind side, if you will. How can this happen? Well, sadly, many women who are may, may not be getting the emotional support or the physical attention at home. How amazing it is that all of a sudden there's an emotional connection with another man in the workplace. An emotional connection with a man at church, an emotional connection with someone somewhere else because what should be provided at home is not being provided for. And I want to encourage you today that the devil, if he can't get you in the frontal attack, he'll come in the back door. He'll do everything he can to take you down. Women, I'm encouraging you today in regards to the sneak attack, and that is you must put your husband as number one in your life and then your children. You say, preacher, well, my, my children are the most important thing. Your marriage will suffer. I can tell you of 30 years of being involved in the ministry, it is uncanny. It is amazing how many marriages are ended when the kids are in high school or they've moved out. You know what's happened all those years as those kids are growing up? Mom, dad's focused on his job. Mom is focused on the kids. Husband and wife forget about each other. And then when the kids move out, they're sitting on the couch and they look at each other and they go, who are you? Who are you? So the devil might get you involved in something that is valuable in raising your children, but you cannot, you cannot forget your spouse. God established that relationship first. Then it's the others. Oh, there's so many other different ways that things can happen. You can be involved with worry, critical spirit, you can be in so involved. I know many wives as mothers, they're so involved with making sure that everybody else is cared for, they forget about their own needs. Ladies, go out and get a pedicure once in a while. It's okay. Get your hair done. Get some things. Make yourself feel good about some things. But be careful how the devil might come in and spoil those things. Now today we talked about three important areas. Things that ought to govern our marriage. Am I saying that these things are, are just magical bullet points? No, I, I'm telling you, you may be here today as a spouse and you may start deciding on these things, but your spouse is not with you. I want to encourage you, keep pressing forward, keep praying for your spouse. But these things need to govern both spouses within a marriage. Decide that we is greater than me. Decide to build spiritual intimacy. Decide to go ahead and safeguard your marriage. Now, I want you to listen as I conclude this message here today because I want you to hear me loud and clear. You are looking at a pastor. You're looking at a pastor's wife who are not perfect. No amens. But truthfully... Sometimes we come into church and we look at certain people who are leaders in a church and we think to ourselves, man, they must have everything going right for them. 
And you know, sadly, when we come into church, there is this veneer, there is this surface that we have, but yet inside there are things that are just kind of tearing us apart. So I want to encourage you today, you might say to yourself, man, I feel beat up after this. I feel, I feel like I got a lot of struggles in my marriage and I got a lot of things. And I just feel like this pastor's got me on the pulpit. He's just kind of beat the pulpit. I want to tell you something. What I, have put in the, what I am sharing with you today, I have had to put into practice and I'm still putting into practice. And I'm learning. I'm on a journey today. But my wife and I have been on a journey where we have had struggles in our relationship. Oh, yes, in the ministry, helping other people, ministering, doing all sorts of things. But guess what? We didn't realize some of the sneak attacks that came in in our family, in our marriage. And we went through struggles. And we went through difficult times. But praise God, she made a decision and I made a decision that we're going to make this thing work. We're going to make it work or she's going to kill me or I'm going to kill her. I don't know, one or the other. But we're going to make it work. And I want to encourage you today. Why I have an invitation is because I encourage people. Invitations are for you to make a decision. In other words, it'd be like you bringing a stake up here and driving a stake in the ground and saying, I am not moving from this spot. I'm making this decision. Some of you husbands today, some of you wives today need to come to this old-fashioned altar and need to drive a stake in the ground and say, I am going to do this within my marriage. I'm going to be this type of spouse. I'm going to be this type of person. I'm not going to be selfish. I'm, I'm not going to go ahead and allow things to come in and destroy the marriage. I'll do what I can to stay faithful to what God has given to me.